Welcome everybody to Water Wine Time with Megan Weaver. Love, life, and entertainment. I have the very talented, very inspiring story writer, teller, David E. Talbert. He is a rare breed while being a novelist, writer, director, and producer. He has done countless plays and has transitioned into writing and directing and producing films, such as First Sunday, Baggage Claim, and the upcoming Almost Christmas. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Good to be here. So as we all know, it is water or wine time, and I have a lovely bottle of wine. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Yeah, I didn't choose water. <laughs> Jesus turned the water to wine. Oh, okay. Absolutely. And so I'm a Christian and believer, so I figure I'd be like, not like Mike, like Christ. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so why this particular bottle of wine, or why this breed? I like uh, Malbec, a friend of mine, uh, uh, my writing mentee turned me on to this in New York um, last year because I like red wines and and I just like the flavor of it. So, you know, I'm kind of a creature of habit. I like something and I keep liking it. I like that. And it was very specific, too. I was like, all right, I know he has expensive taste. I thought this was going to be some crazy, you know, expensive bottle. But, you know, it seemed like a good bottle of wine. You're enjoying it, sipping it. So. I am. I am. Yeah. It's, a good, it's a good vibe. Good, good. So tell me a little bit, because we just wrapped on, or you just wrapped on Almost Christmas not too long ago. And now you're in the latter stages of it. It's getting ready to come out soon. So tell us a little bit about it and how it was different from working on Almost Christmas to Baggage Claim and First Sunday. Well, um, uh, First Sunday was the first feature film that I directed as a theater um, director. You know, you direct everything as a master shot because of proscenium, you know, stage. And uh, so <laughs> it, was a, it, it was cool, but I'm used to... I don't work with the camera. I work with what my eyes see as a theater director. And uh, But film, of course, is doesn't matter what you see. It only matters what the camera sees. And so it was a good experience because I know comedy well, but it was a big learning curve in trying to understand the relationship between the, the camera and the performer. And uh, Cube, Cube was the best. You know, I would, I would say, yeah, I want to... You know, I, I want to have the camera do this and, and do that. And, and Cube would, uh, he, he said, hey, hey, man, come on in. Let me talk to you for a second. I said, yeah, what's up, man? He says, are you sure you want to do that? And I says, why? He says, well, because this would happen if you did this and you could do it more effectively if you did this. And I said, I like that. So I would go back and tell everybody, you know what? What we're going to do is this. And this. So so it, w- it would happen over and over. I would go to, I would say, yeah, so what we're going to do is Tracy, Morgan, but you're going to do this, and Kat, and then Cube, and then I would look over at Cube, and, and he'd just do this stuff, like, come here for a second, and I said, that's not what I should do, is it? He's like, no, dude, he said, no, nah, if you did it like this, and this, and this, you could get it more efficiently, it would look more better aesthetically, and I'm like, absolutely, and I would go back and say, you know what, what we're going to do is this, so Cube became my... Uh, my big brother on the set, not only starring in the movie, but a, a great guy. And he would never, um, he would never say anything publicly. He would always pull me aside. And, and so no one knew what was going on. And I just have so much, uh, tremendous amount of respect for him. And, you know, that's my man to this day. So that was a the transition. Then, um, baggage claim, the second one was still trying to find my way cinematically as a filmmaker. And, um, and I, I think we elevated it as a filmmaker, but it wasn't until really first Sunday. I, I mean, until um, almost Christmas that I feel like uh, I'm a filmmaker. Mm. I feel like I'm not a theater director doing a movie or a playwright doing a movie, but I, I feel like I'm a filmmaker doing a movie. And really, because I understand the relationship, not only understand the relationship between the camera and the actor, but I respect it. And it's, as a playwright, you respect words. You know, as a filmmaker, you respect uh, moving pictures or pictures, photography. And so this film has been the best marriage of of what I bring as a writer and now who I am as a filmmaker. And how do you think you were able to come about to have that realization? Um, 
well, uh, <laughs> it was, I, I, I started hanging with, with filmmakers, with film students and everything, and I was looking over the, my film and I was, had my chest poked out and a film student said, well, where does that light come from? Where, where is that? I'm like, what are you talking about where it come from? It's just there. It's like, well, what is it motivated? What's motivating that light? Where does it come from? I'm like, it's just a light somebody plugged in and put on. It's like, no, light has to be motivated. And, and, and so I started hanging with film students who really inspired me to really become a student of film. And so I just started looking at film. I would cut the sound down so I would not be seduced by the dialogue. And I would just watch these pictures and, and how filmmakers are such um, beasts at telling stories without words. A good movie, you should be able to turn down the volume and, and still be able to follow it and be moved by it. And not a good movie because that's relative, but I'm saying uh, someone who is a, a skilled uh, storyteller in, in visual images, you can turn down the volume. Um, so that's what I did. I studied it. I, um, I studied it and I put up a visual board. I remember in pre-production, my whole visual board in my office was filled with um, uh online images that inspired me my um the legendary um uh production designer Wynn thomas he who production designed this he production designed movies like um uh a beautiful mind uh all the spikes early gems uh do the right thing she's got to have it malcolm x uh he did cinderella man also but he talked to me about He's like, the script is nice. He talks like he's a really elegant man. He says, your script is nice, David, but uh, you need to develop a visual vocabulary. And I'm like, when? what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and he said, pictures, my brother, pictures, brother. And so I went and, and started uh, creating my visual vocabulary. So when it came time to hire my DP and my team, I already saw what these scenes looked like. I saw uh, uh, things that reminded me of how, uh, were good examples of how these scenes were to be. And so it helped the process tremendously. Mm. Now, what do you want? I know he was talking about pictures and you were saying about muting it and still being able to tell or figure out the story. What do you want people to get out of your work? What do you want people to lessons or, you know, laughter? What is it the message that you want to convey? not really a message as much as uh, just feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, I write stories that make me feel something. And so I put them out there and hopefully the audience will feel what I f- uh, feel, you know, moved. When I write scripts uh, and I'm sitting at the computer, if something's funny, I'll laugh heartily. You know, if something's sad, I'll cry. If something uh, is dramatic and makes me angry, I'll get angry. And, um, so you put all of your emotion, your heart, pieces of your soul in the scripts and you feel something when you're writing them. And then you just, hopefully, um, the people, when audience, when they see it, they'll feel something too. Mm -hmm. And they'll get out of it what they get out of it. And, um, Hopefully it'll be an escape for two hours and make you feel something, reflect on something, maybe learn something, you know. So then where do you get your ideas creatively? You know, when you're starting to write a new project, where are you, where are these ideas coming from? Uh, there was, uh, there was a quote that I, and I'm pulling up my phone, it was something that I, someone sent me. And I posted it on the, on uh, my Twitter account. Let me see here. It was a quote that would answer your question. And I don't know who said it, but it says, Who knows where inspiration comes from? Perhaps it comes from desperation. Perhaps it comes from the flukes of the universe, the kindness of the muses. Uh, I thought that was very eloquent and a beautiful quote. My inspiration, though, comes from uh, my creator, and I believe that I'm always a vessel of uh, the art, and that um, these ideas and thoughts and themes, uh, they kind of 
uh, hover above me and they're downloaded to me and they move me. And things that move me, eventually I figure out a way to create a storyline. But I'm inspired by life. I'm inspired by people. I'm inspired by uh, sitting on a banister, uh, hiding behind it while my wife and her girlfriends talk about their relationship issues. And uh, so I'm inspired by that, but the gift is, is from my creator. The gift, the gift is there. And then I try to be a good uh, servant of it yeah. by honing it, fine-tuning it, developing it, and, you know, working it. Mm-hmm. And I guess on the flip side, I know... Early- That's a bit esoteric, I know. <laughs> but I'm drinking wine, so esoteric, uh, you know. If I were maybe sober, I would be answering these questions a little different. No, I prefer it. I prefer it. That's why, you know, I want people comfortable. Drink the wine, you know. can have liquor. There was, you know, I left the door open for you. I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So these will be long-winded answers (laughs) and and a little bit uh, esoteric, but uh, honest. And that's what I want. I definitely want the honest answer. I don't want the stuffy you know, go to school, uh, inspire, do read a book, and keep it moving. We don't want that. You know, what the whole purpose of this podcast is to get the inside from different perspective for people that are in the business. You know, obviously, textbooks aren't going to teach you your story. You know, having a professor or someone say their story is not going to be your story. So that's why I think it's invaluable for you to be honest and be candid and let that out. So I appreciate that. Yeah, well, that's the only thing. That's the only way I, that's the only way I rock. So yeah. whether I'm sober or not, this is what you're going to get. Yeah. I don't like sugar-coated. I don't want sugar-coated answers. Now, even on the flip my, side. My, my, my boy Morris Chestnut says that when he talks to me, it seems like I'm on a quaalude because yeah. <laughs> he, he's wondering, am I going to fall asleep between <laughs> my conversation with him? Because I obviously speak very slowly <laughs> so <laughs> that is true though i'm like wait what are you doing what did you do before i came over here for this interview <laughs> i'm like is there something other than wine in your no, system right no, now no no ma'am <laughs> well that's it's honest that you know that about yourself too uh now, I know you're talking about what inspires you, but even on the flip side, there has not always been, you know, rose petals and all this great things, you know, for your career and your business and writing. Was there ever a time that you said, I can't, this is it, I don't, I'm tossing in the towel, I'm fed up, I, you know, maybe this isn't where I need to be going? Well, it's uh, most likely every other day, mm-hmm. you know, the this path is a is a it's a daunting task every time I open up my computer to write something and there's a blank page because at some point I have to fill up enough blank pages with something to finish the script so you know I uh, I approach it with great reverence um and I somehow try to overcome the fear which is uh, it takes a lot of courage to create. It takes a lot of courage to create. And so each time, each project, no matter how many I've done, I've written 14 plays. I'm writing a new play called Can a Woman Raise a Man that I'm going to tour next year. Um, and Congrats on that. Thanks. And so I'm approaching it the same way that I approached my first play. Now, yeah, I've toured, I've toured plays for 25 years, but... I look at this play, I have to have the courage to create this play, the courage to be open um, emotionally and spiritually um, to download what it it is I'm supposed to put on those blank pages. So um, it's a a thing that I don't, I I don't, even though I've been doing it 25 years, I don't say, oh, okay, well, it's just like a turnkey operation. It is not. It requires the same amount of um, of steadiness um, and the same amount of courage that it required 25 years ago. Mm. And what about what's your proudest moment professionally? My proudest moment professionally was 
my second play. My great-grandmother is my heart, uh, Annie Mae Woods, uh, pastor. She's no longer with us. My second play, and she was, she was almost 90 years old and it came to Washington, D.C., the Constitution Hall, uh, where I'm from, and um, I rented her a limo, and she came up. I had box seats for her, and and I went on stage at the beginning of the play, and I told them there's a very special lady in the house, and and I told them to put the spotlight on her, and she stood up and waved, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it was the most special special moment mm-hmm. in my career. Now it seems like she would also be a motivational driving force for you, but is there anyone else that motivates you? Um, now, um, you know, now it is my son, mm-hmm. you know, who, uh, three years old, Elias David. And it's funny because before he came along, I would always tell my wife I was concerned about my legacy and I was concerned about the work and the, the script and getting the award and, and getting an Oscar and a Tony and an Emmy and a Grammy and, and my legacy as a writer and director. And when he was born, I'm like, wow, that's my legacy. He is my legacy. The writing is, is, is my gift, um, uh, to the world in, in return for the gift that's been given to me, the craft of writing and feeling and directing. But my legacy is my son. Mm. And, um, so, uh, you know, it, it just changed my perspective. But my, my, my inspiration, though, greatest still, will always be my great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. She said something to me. I asked her. This was a couple months before she passed away. Uh, she, I said, uh, Ma, you know, why do you want to, why did you preach for 50 years, you know, and, you know, and church and baptizing and preaching, pastoring, I mean, 50 years. And she said to me, she was 93 at the time, she said, uh, preaching was never something that I wanted to do. She said, I, I ran, I ran as fast as I could. He said, but you can't outrun a have to. She said, always catch up to you and make you make a decision. Either you choose to follow it or it follows or chooses to move to someone else who will. So she explained to me that preaching was not something she wanted to do. It was something she had to do. And that put a lot of um, uh, things in perspective for me about every time I get to the computer or to do a new project or something, I don't want to sit there and labor at that, at that script for months and sometimes years, but I can't help myself. It's what I have to do. It's what I was created to do. And I, I gleaned that inspiration from my great grandmother. Mm. Now I know Elias is a driving force and that is your legacy. He is your legacy. What if the day comes and he says, dad, I want to do what you do. When I grow up, I want to do exactly what you're doing. What would you tell him? I would, I would support it. You know, the arts, it's interesting. The arts, um, you know, my family is still trying to figure out what the hell am I doing? How did this, where did this all come from? You know, arts isn't something in the black community, especially in a church community, unless it's music that is kind of understood. Um, it wasn't, no one thought, I mean, it wasn't even a question, would I be a playwright or would I be a director, novelist? It wasn't even, no, I was going to be working a good government job. Mm-hmm. I was going to be the deacon, assistant pastor, and move on ranks up to the pastor of the church uh, and uh, get me a good, uh, you know, white picket fence, get me a good woman fill her up with a few babies <laughs> and there's a good life, you know, um, third Sunday chicken dinners and be, you know, <laughs> so, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that life, yeah. but there was a path that was set for me, uh, to do something different and no one really understands it. So if I, 
son came to me and said, this is, I want to do what you do, daddy. I would, I would embrace it. I would give him the room to discover his own voice. Um, because everyone has their own path, everyone has their own voice, everyone has their own thing that makes them unique. And so what makes me unique is what makes me unique. I would want to help him discover, help him to discover what makes him unique, what moves him, what makes, what, what touches his heart and soul. And, um, and, uh, I think he'll be, he already picks up my camera and starts taking and start taking pictures, but now he runs around the house with it sometimes and takes pictures that we don't want taken, so we got to <laughs> del- delete them real fast. <laughs> but uh, but uh, he's he's already a creative guy. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing too, running around with the camera, I'm pretty sure it's not a cheap camera either. No. So uh, I can imagine a three year old running around the house taking incriminate or just pictures that you don't want, and then this expensive camera. Yeah, yeah, I got to get him a little baby camera, yeah. but I don't have those. So all I have are my my cameras and he and he's been since he's been probably six months old, he's been reaching for it and since he could talk, he's been asking me, Daddy, let me hold your camera, let me take a picture. So I, I taught him how to take a picture and then look at it and then take another one. So I mean it's just great watching him, but he's you know, he's three years old, so he's yeah. too young to really get it. But holding it um, in his hand, uh, I think will make a difference at some point. Mm-hmm. It's what really helped me become a even a filmmaker. When my son was born, I never held cameras. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a player, so I let the cinematographer do that, and the camera people do that. But when he was born, I picked up a camera to start to start taking pictures of him. So this is the first film I shot uh, since I've been taking photographs and. Mm-hmm toying with lenses and and playing with Photoshop and all that. So now my eye is trained to look through a lens of a camera as opposed to just looking at a proscenium stage. So I'm sure, you know, that had a lot to do with the success of the film. Mm. Going back, because I know you said the chicken dinners. Mm-hmm. So if you guys have chicken dinners every third Sunday, please let me know. If you and Lynn are doing that, because that's not a bad thing to have. No, you know, man, who's I'm... mad at a, like... Thanksgiving spread or a nice home cooked meal every Sunday because I will gladly come over. I'm just Let letting you know. You my my mother and grandmother would cook every third Sunday when it was a missionary day, and we'd always have a special guest uh, come over to preach at the church. And boy, my mother would lay that. It would be collard greens and macaroni and cheese and and chicken and. And biscuits, and I mean, I don't know if people came for the word of God uh, as much as they came for the food. For the food, because I think they were asleep by the time uh, you know somebody started preaching. But oh man, and third Sundays, I can taste, I can literally taste the food just talking to you about that. You know, I will say a couple motivational words or say something before the food <laughs> is consumed if that's what we got to set up. So, Lynn, I'm letting you know I'm coming over, <laughs> me and my fiancé, third Sunday. Yeah, yeah. she <laughs> don't the- cook them third Sunday dinners. Now, you got to go to D.C. for those. Okay, well, we're going to take a trip to back home to D.C. and have this home-cooked food. Uh, yeah, and I'm bringing John everywhere. We're going to make it a family affair. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Here we go. You're more than welcome. And we'll make some dishes, too. Good deal. There Good we deal. go. So, speaking of Lynn, how is it that you are able to do what you do professionally, be a father, writer, director, producer, and husband for over 18 years? 18 years. It's possible. It is obtainable. But how do you do it? I don't really know. I'm a for parole in two years, I know. I, do. <laughs> I was denied ten years, and so she's <laughs> like, "Nope." I got to go back in. But she, you ask her, she said she would have gave it, me parole at ten years, so she could have gotten out. But <laughs> no, she's a good girl, and uh, uh, she's a good girl, and uh, she's my producing partner uh, also. And so you know, we work together and live together and love together and. You know, it's tough in Hollywood. You know, it's tough in Hollywood. But you have to have someone that understands. When we first met, she understood that I was married to my work and she was my mistress. Mm. 
so she wasn't trying to and uh you know i would say my work is my work now now i got to get my work done she so she always would give me the lane to do my work and it's so important that my work was number one my lady was two and everybody else was wherever they fell but when when she um gave me a son when elias was born it's funny because she moved up to number one elias is number two my work is three mm-hmm. and everything else because the most important person on the planet in my life is my wife because she is the most important person in my son's life. Mm. He cannot exist without his mother. And so so I'll make sure mama's fine. She'll make sure the baby's fine. And daddy will get in where he fits <laughs> in. And, and the work will take care of itself. But it's, it's just very interesting, the... Um, changes and all that but she's a she's a beautiful human being inside now mm-hmm. she is i love lynn now do you find it challenging sometimes balancing between the three professionally elias and lynn uh not really it's an easy thing i i i i shut down every day from six until nine thirty because i'm at home with fam that's family time and then i'll come back to work but you know, it, it's a um, it's a priority. Family is a priority. The work is going to be the work. You know, I'm going to write a script. Mm-hmm. It's hopefully going to be good. Maybe it's not so good. Maybe I got to work on it some more until it becomes good. But that is a process that I've been in 25 years. I understand what that is. I embrace what that is. Uh, I love what that is. Um, each day I come home at six. It's something different. My son has a different experience. My wife has a different experience with him. There's something new. So it gets a chance for you to recharge your battery. If somebody's not feeling your script at the office, you go home. And I, I come in and I say, and as soon as my, my son hears the door open, he goes, Yay, Daddy's home. So I'm like, Man, I'm the best writer on the planet. Yeah. I'm the best anything on the planet. Because uh-huh. that baby boy is happy to see me. My wife is happy to see me. And so life is pretty damn good. Mm. I like that. So you've blocked off these hours are family time. Yeah, family time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't care if I'm in the middle of something. I'm like, oh, get back to it at 930. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's important to me. Mm-hmm. So let's go back. To the early stages, early baby David. Mm-hmm. So, growing up, what did you want to be as a kid? I wanted to be a, um, as a kid, and I don't know what I want to be as a kid, but I remember the earliest thing that I wanted to do was to be a talk show host, a radio announcer. And that's because growing up in D.C., it was Donnie Simpson on the radio, and, um, I listened to him growing up. A lot of people mostly know him from uh, Video Soul TV, but he's a iconic radio announcer in D.C. And so I grew up listening to him, and I always wanted to be a radio announcer. So when I went to um, Morgan State, I got on the radio there as a, t- a talk show host and then ended up being a D- um, DJ 100 in D.C. while I was finishing up my senior year and then transferred, once I graduated from Morgan, transferred to uh, a station in California, KSOL, where I was a radio announcer there, and that's when I started writing. But that's what I wanted to be, a radio announcer. Um, and that's why people call my phone, they say it sounds like movie phone. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn it off, you know, it's just you know, what it is. And I think that's your voice, too, just the quality of your voice is... Like, you hear it. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of that is talking on the radios. 107.7 KSOL, mm-hmm. the Bay Area's best variety of music, always at least 20 in a row, continuous music station. It's, 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 it's the training of, mm-hmm. of, of your voice and everything, and I just can't turn it off because it's my, you know, it's, it's what I was trained to do. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't in this business, do you think you would still be doing that, or do you think you would be doing something else? I would probably... I don't know, because I don't think creatively it was a big enough canvas for me to paint. The voice is one thing, but I, there, I needed a bigger canvas, which um, 
I think the stage was a natural progression for me. Then novels, then film is probably the biggest canvas that you can paint on. Um, and there'll be something other than that, you know, I'm sure teaching and, uh, you know, inspiring people. There are other canvases I'm going to want to paint on, but right now, these are the, the things that are inspiring me. Um, these are the canvases that are calling me, but I'm sure at some point there'll be others. Mm -hmm. So what do you, I know, hanging with family or, you know, with Lynn and Elias, but what's something, an interesting fun fact about you that people don't, like maybe a hobby or something quirky that you, special skill that you have? Um, special skill. Uh, what rated is this? Open. Okay. All right. All right. So, see. It's a family show? It's not a family show. Oh, yeah. We're drinking wine, and I have people drink liquor. So, I mean, they're already setting the boundaries got, right there. i got a lot of special skills, but let me see here. Um, you know, I, I'm a swimmer. I, I'm a certified lifeguard. Uh, and and I, I would, during high school, I taught swimming. Mm -hmm. And um, so I always kid you know, about swimming and teaching as I had a pool and uh, in Vegas before I met my wife and I would um, go out there every morning in the pool and swim naked because it it's, it's like a, a thousand degrees and, you know. Uh, and so uh, next door to me, there was a family there. It was a wife and his, you know, uh, and husband and a couple of kids and and so I went out there morning, and I looked up. Their, uh -oh. their bathroom looked over mine. Uh -huh. So, so I, I I looked up there, and the the, the, the blinds closed real fast. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So the next morning, I come out and uh, I take my time getting in the pool. <laughs> just take everything <laughs> off slowly. It just. Walk slowly in the pool, and I start swimming, and I turn around to do my backstroke, and I look, and I caught her <laughs> looking out the window. You caught the the white. I caught her looking out the window. So, so um, that's a little fun fact pre marriage of uh, swimming and shenanigans <laughs> in Las Vegas. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so if you were doing that frequently, that could have been her everyday routine to get a little pee. Hey, everyone needs a little outlet from yeah. time, time to time. So who am I to deny this 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 nice lady the yeah. opportunity to see some chocolate uh, swimming yeah. in the pool? Because, you know, a lot of us don't swim. No, it's interesting because growing up where I grew up... Um, you know, the pools were, no one had a pool. They had the, um, I remember next door to me, Fat Chris. Uh, Chris John, we called him Fat Chris, of course. He He's was fat. He was, <laughs> he was hefty. He, he was bigger than <laughs> us. But they was Chris, and we called, you know, in the, in the hood, everybody's got nicknames. Nicknames. Mm -hmm. So, uh, anyway, we would go to Fat Chris's house, and, and Fat Chris had this pool that you would step up to, but you know, you would fill it with water and there, oh, you know, like the higher, the one that's above ground kind of pool. Absolutely. Got it. That they put in there. They didn't dig in the mm -hmm. ground, but you know, we remember it was always cloudy <laughs> because you know, black people in the hood, in the hood, they get pulled, but they don't necessarily get the chemicals supposed to go in the pools to keep so it clean. So it's regular water that they put in there and regular didn't clean it. Regular water and did not and filter the... it. Oh. It did not filter it. And then it was one time in the summer that all of us broke out with rashes <laughs> from from the pool. Shut and up. That was the last time we we enjoyed uh, Fat Chris's pool. <laughs> So there's like regular water and just filth, and, and flour and filth. Absolutely, and and and, and they and they make chemicals for a reason. Put wow. put them chemicals in the pool, please. So, <laughs> so everybody had you rashes. cannot swim in tap water all summer. Oh. <laughs> you gotta put. If you do, refresh it maybe. Refresh it. No. Empty it and no, clean it. No, no, no. You weren't running up their water bill. Dang. Yeah, so so anybody who wants to get a pool out here above ground, put some chemicals in the put pool. Put some chemicals in the pool. 
you know, do the right, put it on the, yeah. uh, you need like boards and stuff, yeah. I think, on the ground. I think that's what drove me to become a lifeguard. <laughs> I, you know, I just want to swim in some clean water. <laughs> yeah, not to save people, but, you know, you, for yourself, you want to you want to swim clean, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, man, that is... <laughs> no, I don't trust pools now, in someone, unless it's an underground, underground pool. pool. I have look to look for the chemicals. Yeah, I need look to test it to see if, you know... Oh, that's hilarious. All right, so if you were to spend a day with someone, dead or alive, who would it be? If I were to spend a day with someone right now, it'd be my great-grandmother. Mm. It's not even close. You know, it's not even close. I'd spend... Uh, what would you guys do? Uh, sit on a porch like we did growing up, and uh, she'd slice a uh, cantaloupe, and she'd make breakfast, the best eggs and the best sausage, and she'd scramble up together with applesauce. She'd put it all in there together, and we'd sit on my brother and I on the porch, and and eat cantaloupe that she sprinkled just a little bit of um, salt on, and uh, that's what we do on the front porch. Mm. You know, no one is ever mad about good food. That no. just sounds, no. and it's the simple things. Mm-hmm. You know, having a conversation and a meal. I like that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now I know you have some acting workshops coming up soon, and uh, I didn't even know these dates were coming up until I saw on the board. But when did you decide that you'd want to do your acting workshops and your purpose and your goal for them? Uh, the acting workshops, um, so many people were asking me to do one. And and I never thought that, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I always teach when I am directing theater I always teach the craft because I work with a lot of first-time actors that are either R&B singers or not first-time actors but first-time stage actors Mm -hmm. which is different different um, technique than film or television so I do a lot of teaching and it was just something that called me to do it and but I didn't want to do it just to teach a class I wanted to do it to give people an opportunity to um uh, maybe being a production of mine, and one of the one of the very proud moments of um, almost Christmas is uh, four people from my workshop I cast in the movie, mm-hmm. and they actually became SAG actors. Um, I gave them lines in the movie, and um, that was probably you know one of the proudest things that you give people opportunity. We're so blessed um, in this business that I'm in. I'm so blessed and. You know, uh, the good Lord, I believe, fills our glasses um, with blessings, not so that we can just sit them on a table and say, "Wow, look at look at how full our glass is. Look at look at how full that glass is." Mm-hmm. But He fills the glass so that we can empty it out and pour it into someone else. And so, I felt the urge that I needed to be pouring some blessings out. You know, and. Um, and so that's what I was able to do, and 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 um, felt very good about it. Felt mm-hmm. very good about it. Taught the craft. It's more like a revival for actors. My my workshop, uh, the craft is a craft. And I teach that, but it's more about you know inspiring people and 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 restoring their um, faith in themselves, a faith in the business, um, restoring their joy in what they do. Because this business can chop you down, you know, so much it can, it, it can really, you know, make you question on a regular basis. Like, man, I want to get a job at KFC. <laughs> this is this is my life. I don't know about KFC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's it. It turned out, it turned out mm-hmm. really well. So, two part question because I know this is probably, you know, during your workshop you talk about this, but the best piece of advice that someone gave you. And the best piece of advice that you would give for the next, you know, someone, David Talbert, the next upcoming writer, director, producer. Let's see, the best piece of advice um, someone gave me, interesting, best piece of advice, Uh, best piece of advice, um, 
I don't know. I still, I always go back to my great grandmother and she told me, I remember when I told her, I said, Ma, you know, I'm writing plays now. And she said, I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm touring the plays. When one comes here, I want you to see it. And she says, you know, uh, Mama don't know nothing about the play business, but I do know that only what you do for God will last. Mm. And so I question even if even if that's not your specific belief i do question i do challenge people that you know people tell me all the time you know or they ask me uh i got to find out what's hollywood looking for and what the audience wants and i need to know what the audience wants well i i tell them and i take from what my great grandmother told me when she says only what you do for god will last i took that as only what you feel is of value and is elevating and moves you and touches you and makes you feel good about putting it out there, you should be doing. And I said this to other people, don't worry about what the audience likes. Worry about what you like, what moves you, what touches you, um, and do that because that's the only thing that's going to matter at the end of the day. You can't write for what you think the audience wants because you don't know what the audience wants. Only audience you know what they want is you. Mm-hmm. Write what you want. And if enough people dig what you dig, then it becomes a commercial success. Mm-hmm. So that in turn seems like the answer is both questions, because that's something that you would tell others as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a write what moves you. Um, and uh, don't worry about the audience. Just make sure that on those pages people feel that you have given a little piece of your heart and a little piece of your soul, you put it in those pages. You found a way to to put what makes you happy or sad or angry or reflective. You put that in those pages. So when people pick it up and read it, they're like, oh, one of the greatest compliments I get is when I send a script to somebody and they say, oh man, that scene, oh, that broke my heart or Oh man, that scene was so funny because what they're feeling is when I wrote it, I was laughing my ass off and when something was sad, I was Mm -hmm. crying. Mm -hmm. And so they feel that. And so I would say the same to other people that are coming up. Mm. Now I know we have uh, almost Christmas coming up. So what is, or if you have something that's complete success, do you want more wine? Oh yeah, I get it. Yeah, thank you so there much. Well, you this know, full service. Yeah, see, I like this. See, I take care of my guests here. I, I even like have cashews. cashews. You want some cashews? Oh, These are healthy cashews. It's healthy. It's raw cashews. Raw cashews. No extra, right. you know, salt and you know, sugar and right. all that unnecessary right. stuff that slowly right. kills you. Slowly kills you. You know, yeah. I'm adding on a couple days. You know, because the wine, red wine, is good for you. Very good for you. Yeah, I've added on. Let's say. Four extra days to your life. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'll write something. Yeah. In your honor those <laughs> uh, so like I was saying, for what is complete success for you? When do you feel like if there is a time that you're like, all right, I made it. I'm good. I can sit back and relax or whatever it is. I don't think there is ever that time. You know, my, um, uh, old friend Noel Jones told me uh, uh, we were having a conversation about success and he says David he talks like this he says David success is not in achieving it's in striving and when he said that it really it really sunk in success isn't ever in achieving it's a because it's a sliding scale it's a moving target what I thought was successful 25 years ago, I, would, my, I might think would be a failure today mm-hmm. based on where I am now. If I was only able to do a production at the level that I did it 25 years ago, I would not think that is a success now. Mm-hmm. 25 years ago, I was like, wow, if I just would do this, man, I am the man. So success is a, um, it's a sliding scale. It's a moving target. But the striving for it is something that's constant. And um, my wife always says, 
when I write a script. She said, so what do you think about it? I said, best thing I've ever written. And she says, I'd be worried if you said anything different. Mm. So whatever I've written, the last thing I've written is the best thing I've written. Mm-hmm. It doesn't discount how much I love the earlier, you know, productions, um, plays that just, you know, he say, she say, but what does God say is so near and dear to me, that play. And Mr. Right Now and The Fabric of a Man and Love in the Nick of Time and all of those. But can a woman raise a man? I tell Lynn, my, my eyes just sparkle when I talk about it. I said, oh, now this one. This one's going to be the best thing I've ever written. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think because I'm striving for it to be. And I think that's what true success is. Uh, um, you know, Tracy Morgan... Um, Tracy Morgan told me another one that really sunk in and he says every day that he wakes up if you have an opportunity to do something good that is a great day Mm. and um, and so you know I I take those kinds of thoughts and things and and take them to heart Mm -hmm. I like that so, like I said, we have almost Christmas coming up. What's uh, give us the details, the date for it, and any other things that we can look out for you? What's um, the next? What's next for you? Well, this is this is so funny because you work on a film for a long time, and then it doesn't come out. You finish it, and then you're just sitting around like you've seen it. You mm-hmm. want everybody to see it, but it won't come out for five months. But this comes out in in a little over three months, November 11th, and it's by far. Again, the best thing I have done and so very proud of it Um, from working with iconic actors like Danny Glover to Academy Award winners like Monique. And they have a scene in this movie that is, oh, Mm. I mean, Monique rips this movie to shreds and um, and then working with uh, uh, Gabrielle Union and my man Omar and. Kimberly Elise, who's one of the baddest actors on the face of God's green earth. That woman does not have a false beat in her body. Mm-hmm. And uh, J.B. Smoove, who is, who's a nut job and killing it, to young actors like uh, Jesse Usher and uh, D.C. Youngfly. Uh, but the whole cast is great. Nicole Avery Parker and um, uh, John Michael Higgins. I mean, the whole, whole cast is pretty great. And the kids are wonderful, too. So, I mean, I could, I could gush on and on, but it's something that is will be an instant classic. Mm-hmm. And I will say, just speaking from the scenes and things that I've seen, you will laugh and you will cry and you will feel, and that's what I think you want out of any movie, like a movie that has you feeling something. You will definitely feel something while watching Almost Christmas. If you don't, you need to get your ears checked, you need to get your eyes checked, you need to get your pulse checked. Mm-hmm. But it is a feeling movie. So definitely go see it. And remind us again the date. November 11th. Got it. Opening weekend. Opening go. weekend. November 11th. Yeah. Now, for people who want to reach out to you, uh, I know you have for your acting workshop or stay in contact, what's your social media, Twitter, Facebook? What do you prefer people to reach out to you? Um, I'm on uh, Twitter at David E. Talbert, Facebook at David E. Talbert. And Instagram at David E. Talbert. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty easy to find me. But um, I'm excited to do these acting workshops this fall uh, for the projects I have coming up that, um, you know, looking for, for talent, for new, new people and giving folks the opportunity. That's exciting. And this movie coming out and, you know, I have a couple other projects that I'll be announcing uh, shortly um, on my social media pages and. You know, I'm just thankful, thank God, for mm-hmm. uh, having the opportunity to do what I do and share it with people and for people to dig it and, uh, more times than they don't dig it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful, very thankful. Mm-hmm. So for those uh, actresses and actors that want to attend the workshop, please go to his social media. Uh, like I said, he's constantly working, has projects that are coming up. So stay tuned because you're going to blast about that on social media as well. And for me on Twitter, I try to be universal. Don't laugh. I don't, you probably know my Twitter oh name. My so on Instagram, it is Megan A. Weaver. Same thing on Facebook, M-E-G-A-N, the letter A, and then Weaver on Instagram. 
and Facebook. On Twitter, and <laughs> you already have the look like, what is it? It's not. It's nothing that crazy. Bacon, eating Megan. So bacon, just like the word, eating, E-A-T-I-N, Megan, M-E-G-A-N. So I'll tell you the story afterwards. I know everybody's like, we've heard the story, but you know, I'll tell you the story about the name. It's so ghetto. <laughs> it's not ghetto. It's, it's creative. So ghetto. It's unique. There's only one bacon eating Megan on Twitter. He's judging. He's shaking his head. Don't judge me in my Twitter name. I think it's on, uh, yeah, it's Twitter and then Snapchat too. You want Snapchat? No, no. You, you get a certain <laughs> age where you just have to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to stop. And uh, I'm 50 years old. And so Instagram was where I stopped. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't want, I don't need to be on everything, mm-hmm. but I'm writing most of the time. So even the social media things I'm on, you know, I'm writing most of the time. So that's mm-hmm. taking up my time. But yeah, no, no Snapchat for me. Vine, I didn't do Vine. Mm-hmm. And no. You're not trying to find Pokemon? <laughs> no, though I, 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 I'm quite annoyed because some, somewhere where I have to pull out to get on the freeway, I guess Pokemon is put up. This is where he's going to have a sighting. And it's a bunch of hipsters there mm-hmm. every single night gravitating. So it's the way of the world. Yeah. yeah, you can't do all the social media. If you do all the social media, you don't have a job. You're not creating, you're not working. So it's good. Well, the thing is, is that you don't want to be um, so eager to follow someone else's dreams who's following their dreams and not following your own. Mm-hmm. Not just let some one person just decide to not sign up for another social media. But that's good. I like that. Yeah. Very true. So thank you all for listening. I do appreciate it. And uh, stay tuned for more. And thank you, David, for being a guest on my podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you, Megan. You're welcome. I had a good time. Yeah. Good deal. Thank you, guys. And have a great rest of your day. All right. Bye.